Hello there. I hope that wherever you are right now, you are safe and, and that in spite of this very strange and, and difficult time, that you feel hope. Thank you so much for choosing to listen today. Uh, it means so much to me to have a chance to speak with you, especially, especially now. My name is Ryan O'Neill, and I make music under the name Sleeping At Last. And uh, this is the Sleeping At Last podcast. So for a while now, I- I've mentioned that there will be this, this Enneagram overview episode coming. And uh, honestly, the more I thought about it, the more it made sense to record not one episode, but, but three. One for each of the songs, Body, Heart, and Mind which are songs based not only on the physical and physiological body, heart, and mind, but um, they were actually based on the Enneagram Intelligence Centers as well. And because these three songs came out before my nine songs inspired by the nine Enneagram types, I'm not actually sure if, uh, if many folks recognize that, that body, heart, and mind were, were based on the Enneagram Intelligence Centers uh, and were also rooted in my learning about the Enneagram. So today, I am so excited to uh, single out the song Body and to tell you how it was born and uh, to talk about all things Enneagram and intelligence centers. We will be joined by one of my absolute dearest friends in the world, Chris Hewerts, who will give us incredible insight into those intelligence centers, uh, what they are, what they mean, and and just a whole lot more. So I'm so excited to continue the conversation about the Enneagram and uh, to give you the birth story of my song Body. Uh, Before we dig into all that, uh, I also wanted to let you know that my astronomy series of songs, which are, uh, if you are unfamiliar, they are pieces of music inspired by observable astronomical events in the universe around us. Uh, I wanted to share that Astronomy Volume 1, the the very first collection of this, uh, this ongoing series of music, is out everywhere music is now. I'm so excited that these songs get to live in one place, and I am already hard at work uh, at the first pieces of music for Volume 2 of Astronomy, so I'm really excited to share that with you uh, in, the, in the months ahead. Again, Astronomy 1 is out now, and uh, uh, the link is available in the show notes. All right, let's begin. I am going to welcome back Chris Hewerts, who uh, not only taught me uh, pretty much everything I know about the Enneagram, uh, but as an author, as a teacher, Chris Hewerts is the most compassionate and I think helpful voice in the Enneagram. If you went back and listened to the episodes that um, were all about each of the nine songs that were released, uh, you are already very familiar with uh, the gift that Chris brings to the Enneagram. So uh, Chris has actually been up to quite a few amazing things since we recorded those episodes last year. So here's Chris to, uh, to fill you in on, on the details of what he's been up to. So this has been um, one of the busiest content creation periods of my life over, over the last couple of years I've been working on. Um, what's now my newest book, The Enneagram of Belonging. And uh, I'm really hopeful that that can be a, a, a gift to my, my friends, my family, but really the, the, the larger Enneagram community. I've been working on a podcast. I didn't realize how hard it was to um, produce one of these. And so mad respect to you for, for, for slugging away and, and, and being faithful with yours. I, I, I really, really can't believe how complicated this can be. <laughs> Thanks, man. And then... This has kind of been a big, huge secret for about a half a year or so, but there's a tear out page in the back of my new book that sort of is like the unveiling of this. And um, I've been working on uh, an Enneagram documentary, Introducing the Types. And of course, Ryan, you were um, one of the fabulous and amazing guests. 
and the project's set to hit theaters if if theaters are open in, in the fall. So I'm done for a minute. I've 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 completed all these things and and now I'm just kind of letting them sort of find their way into the world. But man, it's just been a really hard time with with the pandemic, with everybody sort of being in and staying home and and everything's kind of slowing down. Oh man, I, I know we've talked uh, quite a few times about this uh, since we we keep in real close touch, but I think it's the exact perfect moment for this beautiful work to to find its way into people's lives. Um, so I, I'm so proud of you, so excited for you, and uh, mm. truly, I, I'm not just saying this because we are dear friends, but I I think that the work that you're doing is absolutely life giving, and uh, it's exactly what I think we all need. You know, we 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 need these uh these these tools to to better understand ourselves and the people that we're quarantined with and uh, maybe especially ourselves <laughs> and so i'm i'm very excited that these things are uh, their birth uh, is is around this time i think it's uh i think it's perfectly timed mm, thanks man and 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 honestly Ryan thanks for everything you've contributed to all of them um your fingerprints are on it all Oh, that's very kind. I, w- I will say this so about the last few months. Um, this great pause in all of our life has felt like a- an interruption. And um, I- I'll even be, be be real vulnerable here for a second. Like the last week or so has been really, really hard. And, and it's not because anything terrible or tragic has happened. I-, I just think it's like my subconscious is internalizing all of these changes Right. Um, and, and I, and I feel like we're all spending a lot of energy on that, that we don't realize. And so, right. For sure. There's this heaviness that, that comes with every news story or even every headline that we glance at, whether, whether or not we're directly affected, there's just this shared burden that we're all carrying around in the, in the backdrop of our daily lives. I, I would hope that this isn't a great interruption but that this is really sort of a kind of reset on, on, on a new way of being and, and a new way of belonging to each other. So, and I'll say this too, Ryan, sorry. One last thing about how I've been doing. I'm not saying this to flatter you, but we have your music on basically all the time. And it, um, it actually does like sort of facilitate a, a, a kind of peacefulness and, and, a, and a kind of climate that keeps us rooted and grounded. So really thankful for all the gifts that you put out in the world, um, your fecundancy and that you continue to, to churn out amazing things. Appreciate how you um, just kind of make the world a better place to live in. Oh man. Thank you so much. Seriously. That means the world to me. All right. Let's, let's Enneagram together. Uh, as I mentioned, today's song is called body uh, and without going too far into the weeds, um, body belongs to my Atlas two series of songs um, and, and body along with the songs heart and mind um, are, are considered the intelligent songs, which were in- inspired by the intelligence centers of the Enneagram. Some of you may, may be totally familiar with what the intelligence centers are, and, and some of you may have no clue what the heck we're talking about. So Chris is kind enough to give us a, a really helpful overview and uh, um, some thoughts. So here's Chris. Well, man, first of all, I, I'm super glad we're actually sort of having these conversations around your your, your three intelligent center songs. Um, those are really, really strong songs. And uh, I know you led with them because actually that makes sense. If you understand the intelligent centers, then you really fundamentally have the, the framework to comprehend the entire Enneagram system because it's all built off of this. And so I know that the timing of those songs had to come before your type songs, but... um. Man, once 
you you completed these type songs, I, I would have hoped that there would have kind of been a reach back and, and these songs could have found new life and, and new meaning and actually have sort of new depth and new substance. So this is this is great. I'm really, really, really glad you're you're, you're being thoughtful about this and, and, and drawing attention to these once again. So so I want to kind of, you know, we, we, we pull back here when we start to talk about the Enneagram and before we jump into types and I kind of joke around that like the types are the hits and, you know, Ryan, whenever you're on tour and, 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 and some super fan in the back row is screaming, play the hits, play the hits and throwing out <laughs> requests. Like that's what we all want to hear. We all want to hear conversations about us, our type, what, what we can know uh, about who we are or who we can become through it. But like I said, if, if you don't have a, the framework to understand the Enneagram through the centers of intelligence so much is lost. So when we talk about our centers of intelligence, what we talk about are our, our three primary means of perceiving and processing reality. And in the Enneagram, that's through our body, which is sometimes um, de described through our instincts or our intuition or through our gut, our gut feeling. Secondly, through our heart, so that's through our feelings, our, our emotions. And thirdly, that's through our head or, or our mind or our thoughts. And we all have kind of a, a, a bias. We all have a, a natural affinity towards one of these, either the, the, the body, the heart, or the head, our, 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 our intuition, our feelings, or, or our thoughts. And that's how we perceive and process reality. Now, what's amazing about this is, is when you know this, and you understand what your, your dominant center of intelligence is, this is where and how you make your best decisions. This is where you learn how to practice discernment. And discernment is really just knowing how to align yourself with what's good, true, and beautiful, what, what the best is for you. And so I, I often say this. One of my little sisters, um, I, I think, is a heart type. And I remember as children, um, adults used to tell her not to trust her feelings. But look, if, if she's in her heart, her feelings are going to tell her something that her thoughts or her instincts can't. And so this is why... There's a kind of urgency here to, to align with your center so that you can actually perceive reality in its clearest way, in its most accurate and, and meaningful way. Now, what I love about the centers of intelligence and, and, and what I love about really kind of looking behind the curtain is um, my spiritual director a few years ago taught me that the, the, the word in English, intelligence, comes from this Latin word for, for understanding. But the Latin word is intelligo or intelligere, and it's broken up in, in, into two words, right? It's inter, which means between, and it's lego, which means to collect. And so essentially, when we completely give ourselves over to the, the, the possibility of understanding, what we're, we're saying is we're, we're collecting what's in between the lines. We're, we're grasping into the empty spaces between words or concepts or ideas to really gather up everything we can about something so that we understand it. And, and that's what intelligence implies. It's, it's more about connections than it is about knowledge. And, and I think this is what's amazing in the Enneagram. There's this way to connect with reality through the, the base of, of how we perceive and, and process reality. I also want to say this. You know, I, I, I don't have children. Um, I got a puppy, Basil, sitting right here, making sure I, I, I get this right. But um, I often try to ask my, my friends who are parents, like, what power they really have over shaping the, the personality or, or the temperament of their kids. And um, it's so funny because it, it's almost like there's no way 
that you could make your child become someone they will not be or were not destined to be. It's like our little souls just show up here loaded with gifts. And, and I believe that. I believe that our souls are purposed. I believe that our souls are, are, are destined to bring a gift to help heal the world. Well, my sense is our centers of intelligence, this is, is really nature, not nurture. That you're, you're not going to parent a child into being a head, a heart, or, or a body type. But you're, you're working with what they bring forward through, let's say, their, their brain chemistry or, or sort of the neurological grooves um, that give them a sense of, of how perception is going to be played out. So I, I believe that. I believe that in, 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 the, in the gift of birth, we're gifted one of these centers as our primary means of relating to reality. Well, if that's true, then then you you follow the the logic here, you follow the thought here, and you realize then there's there's also a second center, a supporting center, and then there's a repressed center or or a third center, and and I think what's amazing about sort of sequencing these three centers of intelligence is that when you sequence the three, when you you put the three. In, in, in the possible configurations of, of how to order them, it comes up with nine unique combinations. And this is where I actually think Enneagram types are, are way less about personality and more about how we connect with the world through these sort of affinities or through these means of, of perceiving and processing reality. And, and so this is where you, you'll sometimes hear people talk about how, how you know type is actually sort of formed in our pre-conscious Type is is kind of formed in, in our brain chemistry. And I think the centers of intelligence prove that out. In terms of an overview, you know, the body types are, are the eights, the nines, and the ones. And, you know, we experience the too muchness of life, like Father Richard Rohr kind of describes it as, as being hit with a cookie sheet all day long. And as an eight, I, I, I don't exactly feel it as intensely as that, but there is a kind of visceral texture to life where I, it, it's almost like there's a too muchness. And, and so for the eight signs and ones, we, we, we respond, we react, we relate to that too muchness. And, and what the eights do is, is we fight against it or, or fight back. The nines kind of withdraw from it. And, and the ones try to harness it, organize it, redirect it, or, or even fix it so that they can fix themselves and, and the world. Now, what you learn um, about the centers of intelligence is it not only sort of shows us how we relate to reality, but it also shows us our most accessible emotion. And so for the eights, nines, and ones, that's a form of frustration, frustration or anger. And we'll, and we'll talk about this later because it really isn't anger because we know this. We know that anger is usually disguised sadness. And so there's a kind of sadness that the eights, nines, and ones aren't honest about with themselves. The twos, threes, and fours, these are the heart type. This is the feeling center. These are the folks who have a, a highly developed sense of a, emotional attunement, emotional intelligence. They, they read the emotional environment of every space they're in, and, and they know how to react, respond, and relate to it. In fact, it's said that the heart type sometimes can validate the emotions of someone else better than they can themselves. Well, what the twos do with this is, is they respond to it by offering of themselves, um, benevolently giving themselves away and, and responding to the emotional needs of others and, and really trying to, to validate and meet those needs. What the threes do is, is they feed off of this and, and, and in feeding off of us, 
they, they, they try to, to validate the emotions, the emotional intelligence, the, the emotional reality of others in their lives, because what the threes are, are, are chronically trying to do is, is to have value mirrored back to them. This is a, a confronting of their, their basic fear that they do not have intrinsic value. And so the more valuable they can become, the more lovable they think they are. And, and they do that by valuing everything else. And so this is where you will sometimes sort of vacillate between what seems to be cold or aloof with the three, but then what seems to be like really understanding and, and how they connect with, with our feelings. Well, it may be because they're not feeling that themselves. It may be they're trying to, to experience it by, by experiencing yours. The fours, the fours feed off of, of the emotions and, and feelings of others as a way of validating their own because the fours sit in the depth of their emotional intelligence. And, and, and this can actually give them a, a way of, of texturing reality, but this also is, is a way where they can sometimes ruminate and, and get stuck and, and sort of anchor in the pain of those feelings. And they know those feelings intimately and, and, and they can describe and articulate those feelings better than anyone, but it, it can sometimes lead to a lot of suffering. This leads us to the head types, the, the thinking center. This is the five, six, and seven. And, and I like to call the, the head types the great forecasters of the Enneagram, right? The fives are, are forecasting solutions and, and they're going to get to the bottom of everything. But in fact, the truth may be they're less concerned with answers and maybe more concerned with getting the questions right. The sixes, the sixes are just threat forecasters looking for, for how something could go wrong, how, how, how bad something can, can turn out. These are contingency planners, worst case scenario thinkers, and they're doing this to care for us, to care for themselves, to care for the people in their lives that they want to, to bring stability and security for. And then the sevens are simply forecasting wherever freedom will be diminished or, or limited. And, and so they're keeping their options and opportunities open and they're living up and out into the world. Now, if the eights, nines, and ones most accessible emotion is frustration or anger, then the twos, threes, and fours most accessible emotion is a form of, of guilt or shame. And you can see this in the two that feels guilty for having their needs met because they believe that they should be the source of meeting other people's needs. The five, six, and sevens most accessible emotion then becomes a form of anxiety or distress. And this is what keeps their minds active. And so what we learn with these centers of intelligence is that we learn to make peace with these accessible emotions, that they don't get to sit in the driver's seat, but they get strapped in in the car seat in the way back. And, and yes, they are long for the ride, but, but they don't have power to, to sort of give us the map or the coordinates of, of where we can go. Another thing that kind of differentiates these centers of intelligence is that the body types are, are primarily concerned with control. And when they're not in control, they act out. The heart types are primarily concerned with connections and, and connections really facilitate what is most meaningful in their lives. And the head types are, are really concerned with competencies. And this is where they, they actually ascribe credibility and, and where they actually sort of see things that they think will lead to the stability that they want. So helpful, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, we will hear more from Chris throughout the episode, uh, but let's go ahead and talk about my song, Body. Uh, which is, of course, inspired by the body or, or gut center in the Enneagram Intelligence Centers. So let's go ahead and listen to body, and then I'll put a spotlight on, on some of my intentionality and layering that went into the song. So here's body, uh, a song about intuition and uh, that, that deep knowing inside of each of us uh, that we can't quite put our finger on. 
As Chris mentioned earlier, Father Richard Rohr explains the, the body or, or gut intelligence center like this. 
Reality comes at us like one shockwave after another. We take it on like a full body blow every three minutes. Type 8s fight back, type 9s back off, and type 1s try to fix, reform, and control reality. I love that. I think that's so true and beautiful, and uh, it inspired the opening lines of this song. A feather is a ton of bricks. I like the idea of mirroring the, the lyrics in the music. So the tremolo strings have this sort of lighter floating feeling, which kind of felt like the feather. And then the ton of bricks idea is in the abruptness of, of the start of the song. So the, the words and the music start essentially all at once. That opening lyric is also a play on the old adage, uh, the straw that breaks the camel's back. There are situations in our life where we get right up to the breaking point and our intuition kicks in, and, and then we choose to listen or, or ignore what it's telling us. Uh, so I really like the idea of starting out this song with, with this sort of abstract concept and following it up with some second guessing. Or maybe I'm too sensitive. I don't know which kind of represents rational thinking. So that created this, this little rule that I followed throughout the song. Every abstract lyric represents intuition and sort of the mystery around it. And the conversational lyric, the, the doubt, kind of represents the, the rational processing that we do to explain our intuition to ourselves. Uh, so it was a ton of fun to, to write the song with that in mind. In keeping with the, the song's theme of intuition, uh, I tried really hard here to, to fully trust my instincts and my gut on this song. Uh, of course, there's a version of myself doing that in every song I've written, but in this one, I wanted, to, I wanted to completely eliminate any sort of second guessing. So that sort of meant that I came at this song from the side in a way. Um, a, a friend of ours, Mark Foreman, talks about relationships in that way. Uh, sometimes really hard things need to be approached like that in our periphery rather than head on. And that advice has sort of ricocheted around my head for, for years now. And writing this song about intuition felt like the, the perfect moment to really put that into practice and, uh, and not only listen to that kind of mysterious gut that we all have, but also to uh, ignore all of the, the question marks that pop up in the, in the creative process. And on, on a personal note, uh, this song nods to a, a, a really large life decision that my family and I made around the time I was writing this song, which felt like kind of the perfect moment to be uh, having this conversation in my mind about what does intuition mean and how much stock can I, can I put into it. So I had watched a, a TED talk by Ruth Chang about decision making, and, and she says that hard decisions are hard because there's no clear answer. And that's actually a good problem. It means that either option isn't necessarily right or wrong. Uh, and there's a, there's a sort of freedom in that. Um, and it's an opportunity to start something new. So for my wife and I, um, back when I wrote this song, the new year began and we had absolutely no plans of buying a new home. We were very happy in, in the home that we were in and we had only been in it for a, a few years. And so um, all of a sudden we, uh, we, we saw a, a home in town that we completely fell in love with and uh, for some reason that home just felt intuitively right. Even though it, it made absolutely no sense, we completely loved our home. We had just had our, our second born who was about a few months old at that time. And uh, it was like the absolute worst moment to, to decide to up and move anywhere, even if it was not too far away. And somehow there was this magnetism towards this, this house. We agonized over this decision, and uh, it, it felt less like uh, 
we should or shouldn't buy the house. It felt more like a war between intuition and rational thinking. Uh, so after months of stressing over it, we we trusted our gut and and jumped in and, and bought the home. Uh, so writing this song at that time, when when a lot of conversations were going on about intuition and why we feel compelled to do the things we do was probably actually some really good processing for me, especially as a type nine, which, which as Chris says, I, I, my, my blind spots are sort of my intelligence center of, of body and kind of trusting my instincts. So you can, you can certainly hear the tension in my thinking at the time uh, when, I, when I wrote the lyrics of this song. And uh, I, think, I think it was really helpful and kind of healing to, to be writing this uh, in, in a season where I felt so conflicted for, for so long. Um, so using the word bricks in the opening lyrics was a, a tiny nod to to this whole house decision thing. And every time I, I hear that little phrase, I, I am immediately brought back into uh, into that season of of gut versus logic. And a more obvious nod to uh, to that home decision uh, is this lyric. star in our soul that remembers our way home. That lyric actually continues to serve me as a reminder to do a little more trusting of my gut as I go. And it also is an idea that I was thinking about as I wrote this song, which is maybe intuition is actually just a, a form of deep remembering. Even though I, I aim to trust my gut in the process of writing the song, uh, it, it took a long while for the lyrics to finally fall into place. That's, of course, the case in every song of mine. I, I, I think that the lyrics are always the thing that demands the majority of my time and energy as I write. But for this song, the, the lyric that sort of unlocked the rest of the song was, there's magic in our bones. It was almost like all of the lyrics were sort of hiding behind the word magic. And once I found that, the, the song was ready to be written. And, and that word magic just resonated in a million different ways for me. Uh, as a dad, watching my two little girls grow from from babies into who they are, uh, magic is the only word that kind of makes sense. And how intuition works is is magic. The the incredible, complex, and ornate designs that make up our bodies is magic. That through a matter of bones and muscle and willpower, we we move around on this earth. That's that's magic. Nature, uh, imagination, love, uh, it, we are surrounded by all of this beautiful magic every day of our lives. And so the final and recurring lyric of the song, there's magic in all of this, uh, that's a reminder to myself to, to constantly recognize the, the gift of, of that magic in my life. Now let's talk a little bit about the music. Uh, music is, of course, magic as well. I originally wrote this song on the ukulele, and... When I was thinking about the instrumentation that best represents the body and the body intelligence center, something about the ukulele didn't feel quite right, even though it is one of my favorite instruments ever. Uh, so I chose to record all acoustic and, and more organic and full-bodied, if you will, instruments. So super fun fact, side note, uh, did you know that the violin was designed to mimic the sound of a soprano female voice? I have no idea if that's true. Um, or if it's just a coincidence, but I believe it. And I absolutely love that idea. Um, so with that in mind, I, I knew that this song needed to have uh, prominent strings throughout. 
ideally a, a string quartet, two violins, a viola, and a cello to represent the entire range of, of human voices. Uh, so I called my my dear friend and um, frequent Sleeping At Last guest, Sharon Gerber. So she and her incredible quartet uh, could not have played more beautifully on this song, um, all of which was recorded live as a stereo track. And I am so grateful for their just stunningly beautiful work. So let's listen to those strings uh, on their own so you can hear all of the, the beautiful detailing. Probably super weird to say, but something about those strings and the chords and the melody of this song felt like a combination of magic and physical, biological matter. And I can't totally explain why, but that's sort of part of the rule that I mentioned earlier about kind of following and trusting my gut on this song. It just felt right. So in, in thinking about the percussion of this song, I had originally imagined it being kind of these full-on drums throughout. And uh, as the song was coming together, it somehow felt just more appropriate to take on an older, more more classical approach. So I decided to record lots and lots of uh, orchestral percussion instruments like uh, timpanis and cymbals and uh, celeste, marimba, even chimes, which I <laughs> never thought I would be able to do. They're not something I'm particularly a fan of, but... For a song that talks an awful lot about magic, I, I thought this is the moment to uh, to introduce chimes into uh, into my music. So in each of the intelligent songs, body, heart, and mind, uh, I wanted to include a sound from my daughters, my wife, and myself that that fits within the theme of each of these songs. So for body, I recorded each of us clapping. I know that doesn't sound like clapping at all, so it was significantly slowed down and reversed. Uh, I wanted to kind of use it into the swell of the percussion. So that's just a teeny tiny Easter egg uh, hidden in this song. And for heart, I recorded each of my family members' heartbeats, uh, which I will, of course, detail in, in the episode about heart. And then for the song Mind, I recorded each of us singing. Speaking again of the Intelligence Centers, um, I would love to welcome back my, my dear friend Chris to, uh, to talk to us further about these Intelligence Centers and then specifically about the Body Intelligence Center. I, I, I want to say this at the outset as, as we sort of break open these conversations on the three centers. When, when we go through these, I, I don't want to make generalizations because eights, nines, and ones in the Body Center are really different. Twos, threes, and fours. Five, six, and sevens are really different. And in each of these conversations, Ryan will will, will highlight some of the, the, the obvious differences and, and explain a little bit of the why or what's behind that. But in general, you'll you'll see this in the Enneagram that the um, threes, sixes, and nines, which are sometimes called the anchor points or the revolutionary types or, or, or the shock points or the balance points, are often the uh, exception to most of the rules. And this is because the threes, the sixes, and the nines are actually the most disconnected from their center. And, and, and part of this makes sense because the wings, right, the, the numbers adjacent to your dominant type for the three, six, and nine are still within their center, right? The nine has a wing, an eight, and a one wing, all body types. The three has a two and a four wing, all heart types. And the six has a seven and a five wing, all head types. 
And so what's kind of missing here is a, a lack of, let's say, depth perception. There, there's kind of a limiting perception of how to process reality when all of your sort of touch points are within a center. And so I, I, I like to encourage these revolutionary points, three, six, and nine, to, to learn what it means to integrate all three centers because we're really going to follow you. This is, is, is truly your luminary role. This is how you show all of us ways of becoming more authentically human. And maybe we, we've talked about this, Ryan, in, in a previous show, but I like to illustrate that through the Wizard of Oz. So if you remember the Wizard of Oz, it's about a little girl in Kansas that gets knocked out cold in a storm. And, and she wakes up from, you know, the, the, the beginning of this film being in black and white. She wakes up into this multicolored, multifaceted um, songs everywhere, candy plants growing out of the ground, magical world, Oz. And it's fabulous and it's magical and it's mysterious and it's playful. And you would think in this dream state, like this is kind of where we all want to end up. But after a while, Dorothy um, gets tired of Oz. After a while, she starts to miss her family and ultimately she wants to go home. And so she starts to make this, this journey along this yellow brick road where she meets three travel companions. Now, if, if that's the quick refresher, let's, let's look at this from a, a different perspective. If you know anything about Jungian dream analysis, you know that in the Jungian perception of how we understand what's going on in our dreams, that every person that shows up, every character in a dream is actually part of our disconnected subconscious, trying to message something to us while we're sleeping that we won't listen to while we're awake. So ta-da, everybody in your dream, it's you. It's a part of you that you're not listening to. So if you take this Jungian dream analysis overlay to Oz, what, what you see is in Dorothy's dream, she's meeting herself on the road. And, and who does she meet? She, she meets a lion who, who's afraid he doesn't have his, his strength. She meets a, a tin man who's afraid he doesn't have his heart. And she meets a scarecrow who, who's afraid he's lost his mind. And, and these are her three centers of intelligence represented in the lion as her body center, the tin man, as her heart center and the scarecrow as her thinking center. And essentially what she does in Oz is she helps these three companions realize they've always had everything they've ever needed. And when they can reconnect with that and really own that, then guess what? She gets to go home. She gets to wake up out of the dream. And I think in the Enneagram, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to wake ourselves up out of the illusion of the dream that we lived in, the dreams that we perpetuate the, the, the ways that we stay stuck. And, and we do that by integrating all three of these centers. And, and this is where the three, six, and nine have a great opportunity to, to lead us and show us what that looks like. This is why Gurdjieff, the, the, the man who brought the Enneagram forward a, a, hundred, a little over a hundred years ago, used to say that until all three of these centers are accessed simultaneously, we are incapable of having a spiritual experience. And so these three centered experiences really wake us up. They, they, they really help us find our way home. And, and I think that's why it's so important to understand them and, and so important to work with them. So today we're, we're, we're focusing on the body types. And like I said, this is types eight, types nine, and types one. Um, the bummer for us in the body is there really is a kind of too muchness that, that we're constantly contending with, right? So for eights, um, I kind of wake up and, and it's not like I'm sharpening my teeth to get into a fight. 
Um, but I am kind of gearing up for, for whatever conflicts I'm going to have to deal with. And, and I have to consciously remind myself, um, this person, this company, this collaborator is not the enemy. They're not out to get me. They're, they're actually not trying to provoke me. And, and that helps me sort of find my center, right? For the nines, this, this too muchness of life is, is really, um, one of the ways that the nines shows up in, in terms of their relationship to what they perceive to be a, a loving way of offering themselves in, in the world. And, and so they don't want to be disruptive. They don't want to sort of unearth things unnecessarily. They, they don't want to um, kind of challenge the, the, the status quo or, or, or redirect somebody that they think might be off or, or, or wrong. But you see, in not doing that, what the nine does is internalizes that. And they kind of suffer the internalizing, the the ingesting, the, the sort of mulling over this. And, and when they bring all of that in, rather than contend with it or work with it outside themselves, it, it becomes a, a pretty heavy burden for, for the nines to bear. And, and so that too muchness that the nines experience is, is shocking for, for all of us who aren't nines because, man, they, they present as pretty cool, pretty laid back, pretty easygoing, but they're carrying a lot inside them. And then the poor ones... The too muchness of the ones is is really rooted in in their frustrated idealism. They're idealizing uh, of what is good and, and what is right and what is perfect in the world outside of themselves that they could never actually live up to. And this is because the ones set unrealistic expectations and unrealistic standards for themselves. They, they don't have to be any better than they are because if you're one, you're probably the best person we know. But the too muchness of, of not being good enough is really kind of the ache here. And, and I hate to say this, but you see, what the Enneagram shows us in nine different ways is, is really how we want to be loved and how we go about getting that love, but the suffering of how we feel unloved even in those attempts. And for the ones, you know, you, you don't have to earn the love that, that, that you deserve. But you see, by making yourself better, by, by working and chiseling away on this perpetual self-perfection project, you think that you will make yourself more lovable by making yourself better. And there's too much energy that's spent in that. And, and that's a really heavy burden to carry. And so the poor ones have to and get to learn not to. That That's not your work and that's not required of you from anyone who, who really does love you. I, I want to say this. I, 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 I want to be really clear. Like, I don't want to be reductionistic and say eights, nines, and ones, we're all in the body. And the too muchness of being in the body is is what makes us similar because, in fact, there's a, a, a tremendous amount of diversity within these three types in this center. And we, we know this. We, we know that eights and nines and, and nines and ones and ones and eights really show up, present, and, and, and function very differently in the world. And this is is kind of the momentum that happens when you look at the, the 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 circle and the flow of the color wheel of the enneagram. So if we're we're going clockwise around the circle, um, it's always the first type within the center. So that would be type eight, type two, and type fives that kind of externalize the the, the dominant energy of their center. And this is why eights sometimes appear to amplify their their anger. This is why there's a, a real drive in eights that, that doesn't seem to be similar in, in nines or ones. It's expressing this energy of our center. Now, if you follow this clockwise, 
the, the midpoint of these centers, all right? Like I, I said earlier, the, the, the revolutionary types, the shock points, the, the anchor points, nines, threes, and, and sixes, they kind of repress this, this energy of their center. They, they, they almost suppress it in losing contact with it or, or becoming a little bit uh, disconnected with it. And that's why you see a lot of nines kind of hollowing out um, their what what seems to be their their interior lives as it's presented to the rest of us while simultaneously the depth of what the nines have hollowed out within themselves really takes them somewhere that most of us would never realize uh, unless we've really started to, to pick and prod and, and, and poke away at what's going on there and, and so in suppressing that what the nines actually have to learn is to show up um, and, and I and I believe that that showing up actually looks like learning to have an honest relationship with anger and, and not anger in, in the sense of, of rage or fury and not even in being mad. But I think it starts there. And I think what it looks like at the beginning is I, I'm mad that I've given so much of myself away. I'm mad that I've not stood up for what I've wanted or what I've believed in or, or my opinions or preferences. I'm mad that I've made everything and everybody else more important than myself. And, 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 and that anger will become honest when, when it moves from a kind of rage or fury or, or madness to a kind of grief and a kind of sadness, because I, I believe that grief may be our most honest emotion. And for the nine to turn that anger into grief begins to allow the nine to no longer repress or, or suppress their own center, but but it really allows for the nine to begin to own their power and, and to really come into terms with who they are so that they may know themselves. Now, this, of course, leaves us with the one. And, and of course, this, this, this last type within the sort of clockwise spinning of, of the circle of the Enneagram are the frustrated idealists. These are the ones, the fours and, and the sevens. And what happens here is the one really internalizes the energy of its of its center. And internalizing this, there's a kind of ingesting it, but but this is what leads to and, and facilitates, let's say, their idealizing of it. And, and and so what sometimes may look for the ones as uncomplicated, what might look in the ones as is just a kind of beautiful sort of soul cursive in, in terms of the flow, that is because in ingesting the energy of their center, um, they've idealized what it means. Now, for the poor ones, we that was Basil shaking that off. He has a, a one wing, and I, and I think we're getting a little bit too close <laughs> um, to home here for him. What what this means for the ones is um the, the, the anger that you feel, and especially as that relates to, to resentment towards yourself for not living into what you've idealized, has to lead to compassion, right? So if the anger for, for the eight is actually, hey, you, you actually need to follow this anger as an invitation to in, inner peace, um, inner groundedness, inner, inner rootedness, you need to lay it down. You've given it too much power, too much strength over yourself, and this is really the source of a lot of your pain and the pain of your relationships. If the anger for the eight is an invitation to peace, if the anger for the nine is an invitation to grief, then really the anger for, for the one is an invitation to compassion. And that has to be compassion for self. 
you're, you're, you're good enough. You, you've done what you've needed to. We, we do see you. We do respect you. We do admire you. And we do love you for who you are, not the good things that you do in the world. And so this is one of the ways that, that we, we see a little bit of difference in, in, in these three body types, how they relate really to the energy of their center through either externalizing it, repressing it, or internalizing it. Another way to sort of differentiate types within centers is, is looking at not the dominant center, which for eights, nines, and ones, we're talking about our body center, our gut center, our, our instinctive center, but it's actually understanding what our repressed center is. And, and so for the eights, um, our repressed center is our, our feeling center. It's our heart. And, and, and that's true. I um, don't know what to think about my feelings. I, I feel that emotions are sometimes a sign of weakness. When I, I, I start to cry, there's a part of me that immediately arrests this and, and, and sort of interrogates myself by, by asking, why are you involuntarily allowing your body to physiologically respond like that? Get it together, man. But, but for the eights, to become more fully human means to actually integrate that repressed heart center, to actually hold our feelings with compassion and, and let this be instructive. For, for the nines, there's a, a repressed body center. So this is, is hard to understand because the nines are in the body center, but there's a suppressing and repressing of this. And, and I think this is most obvious in how nines actually don't express their anger, which is kind of the clue, which is kind of the hat tip, which is kind of the, 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 the most obvious way that we see the body type show up. And, and this is really rooted in the sadness of, of the nines minimizing themselves and, and not making what really was was critical to who they were becoming in their early holding environments to, to the people who cared for them most. Because you see, the nines are born to be a source of love, and, and so the nines love everyone better than themselves. But eventually this catches up, and when it does, this is where that anger shows up. And, and like I've said, this is where the anger has to become an invitation to, to grief and, and to sadness. And then, of course, the ones... Um, have a, a repressed thinking center. And, and this is kind of surprising because you kind of feel like ones are, are, are pretty sharp and, and on the ball and they, and they figured things out. But um, you, you see this because when the ones do give themselves over to anger, it, it can look not overly emotional, but impassioned. And, and the intensity of that anger fueled with the support from their, their, their feeling center really is what keeps us in line and what makes us want to sort of follow the rules and, and give ourselves over to the structure and, and validate that yes, in fact, structure does leave the human flourishing and, and that's why we need each other, but especially why, why we need the ones. So there's something there for, for all of us in this and, and learning to recognize your repressed center actually helps you integrate that so that we can actually bring the best of ourselves forward. And, and so I like to, to, to metaphor that with this story out of Greek mythology of, of the sisters Greia. And, and if you remember it, um, the sisters Gray are the Gray sisters. They were three sisters who 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 could not see, um, and so they shared a eye, and, and they would pass this eye back and forth amongst themselves, so that whoever was holding it had perception, had sight. And, and what I love about that story of the sisters Gray is it's a story of deference, but it's a story of of unity, and it's a story of bringing three sort of modes of perceiving into alignment. And I think that's what we're, we're doing with our centers of intelligence. One of them 
our repressed center will, will have the least amount of clarity as we perceive ourselves in reality. And, and so we need to sort of find balance and, and cohesion and, and kind of passing the eye of perception among them. Now, I, I want to try to describe this as, as simply as I can. And, and when I sort of talk about our, our dominant center and repressed center, I, I, I try to describe it as this. Eights rationally justify our intuition while denying access to our feelings. And so you see this. I'm, I'm using my second center, my head center, to rationally justify my gut intelligence. And all the while, I do that at the expense of my emotions. Nines merge their emotional sensitivities with a grounded objectivity while abnegating their gut reactions. And so this is where the nines can present as empathetic because in merging that heart center through those emotional sensitivities with their thinking center, which really for nines comes across as incredibly grounded and objective, the nines are actually denying their gut reaction. They're, they're not following their instincts. They're, 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 they're repressing this. And, and this is really where the nines can, can step forward. And so, of course, this leads us with the ones who emotionally reinforce their intuition. They, they use their, their feelings to um, validate their, their passions while they contain their reasoning. And, 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 and they really mitigate that. And, and this is where it does come across that ones kind of are a, sometimes can be a little bit reserved. And so you see this. Eights, rationally justifying their intuition while denying access to their feeling. Nines, merging their emotional sensitivities with a grounded objectivity while abnegating their gut reactions. And ones, emotionally reinforcing their intuition while, while containing reasoning. Actually has nothing to do with personality, but this is the pre-conscious hints to type based on the stacking or the sequencing of these centers, centers of intelligence. Wow, Chris, thank you. Uh, all of this is so helpful in, in wrapping our heads around the intelligence centers uh, and in turn our, ourselves. As Chris said, uh, the Enneagram is often taught through the intelligence centers first, before types at all, uh, which is why these intelligence center song came first in, in the sequence of my Atlas project. But goodness, returning to and learning about the intelligence centers now after so much time with the specific types and, and the studies that I think probably a lot of us have done uh, is a really invaluable thing and, and provides so much more depth and meaning to the, the entirety of, of the Enneagram. It just gives us a really helpful nudge uh, in the inner work that we're, we're all trying to do. So this song, Body, uh, was me dipping my toes into the Enneagram as it's the first official Enneagram-inspired song that I wrote. And as I look back on it now, the, the gut, the body, or instinctive center really set the right tone for, for writing all of these Enneagram songs, as I think it, it forced me right at the start um, to trust my gut and, and to listen to my intuition, as the song says which I think was uh, was so helpful in, in the path forward. And as a type nine myself, I think starting there in the body, which is, uh, of course, my blind spot, was, was centering and, and maybe a bit healing too. So something I've only briefly referenced in these episodes is the artwork for Atlas II, uh, and specifically the, the Enneagram songs. So the artwork for all of these songs is, is truly one of my favorite parts about this whole project. Uh, each were gorgeously painted by the incredible artist Alicia Anagento, who is so brilliant. Uh, she's an artist based in Jakarta, Indonesia, 
And um, I know it sounds like I'm just saying this to be kind or polite, but but truly, Alicia is my favorite artist of all time. Her work, if you have not seen it, is primarily black and white paintings, um, watercolor, and and somehow it feels like it's alive. It's hard to put words to it, but Alicia's art is brimming with soul, and I am deeply moved by by every single painting I've seen of hers. So, needless to say, getting to work with her closely on paintings for every song in my Atlas Two series was one of the biggest joys of my whole career. Uh, she was kind enough to agree to paint a visual accompaniment to uh, to all 25 of my Atlas II songs. And if you haven't seen them, uh, even if you hate my music, um, I am certain that you will absolutely adore her artwork. I'm so excited that Alicia and I will be partnering up again for, um, for Atlas III, which is coming around the corner. And uh, I cannot wait to see the magic that she will pour into uh, into those pieces of art as well. And, and though I can't pick favorites, I am so blown away by the gorgeous art that she did specifically for these Enneagram songs. So as I began to write the Enneagram songs, I would uh, I would send her a really long email explaining kind of what I've learned so far about the Enneagram type that I was writing about and that she was about to paint. And uh, I would explain ideas that I had moving forward into the song. And I gave her a, a very preliminary framework that I wanted each of the songs to follow. I wanted there to be a moon that would uh, change the phase um, in sequence uh, across each of the nine art pieces. And so uh, this is really nerdy, but I was really excited about the idea of it sort of animating across the the, the background of, of all nine of these paintings. So, And the best way to see this is uh, I made a GIF that um, that rotates through the, the nine pieces of art. So you can see the, the moon moving across the, the backdrop, as well as changing the phase with uh, with each type. And I'll link that in the show notes because it was really fun to uh, to put that little gift together. And I wanted there to be a boy and a girl in each painting interacting with an animal uh, that represents the type. And that was really it. And, and she ran with the ideas, doing her own Enneagram research and, and brought so much depth and detail into each piece. So what I'd like to do right now is talk about the, the paintings for the body center. So that's type one, uh, type eight, and type nine. And in the next episode, we'll talk about the Heart Intelligence Center as well as the the song and uh, the artwork that goes along with those types. And then lastly, we will uh, talk about the the Mind Intelligence Center and the song Mind uh, along with the artwork for for those types. So the animals, uh, aside from the fact that I adore animals and that Alicia has been painting children with animals for a really long time, uh, it made perfect sense to me to include them into these Enneagram pieces. Uh, because as you learn about the Enneagram, you'll likely come across all sorts of fun overlays or memes that, that don't necessarily have a lot of importance in the Enneagram as a whole, but are just really interesting thought experiments, and, and one of which are the animal totems. So at the beginning, when I was still mapping things out with the songs, uh, Chris was kind enough to let me bug him about animals because uh, some of the traditional animal totems that I read about didn't feel quite right for the art or for each type. Um, but Chris let me bounce a bunch of ideas off of him, um, which helped uh, compile the list of animals that uh, represent each type in the art of these songs. So here's Chris a little bit to uh, talk about animal totems. Well, so actually this is um, some of the like the wonky Enya mythology stuff that I, I I love a ton. When Oscar Chasa, right, in 1954, this Bolivian wisdom teacher um, who sadly just, just passed away this spring, when he sort of downloaded or, or began to first develop the Enneagons, the, the, the raw building blocks for what the Enneagram of personality was sort of constructed out of, 
he actually came up with 108 of these things. And he had 108 Enneagons that he said, when you use these together, when you stack these up, they, they, they actually create a pathway towards the clarification of human consciousness. And what he meant by that was, was a kind of, let's say, enlightenment. Well, I understand that, that at least two of those Enneagons were actually animal totems, representing the energies of these nine points around the circle. And this is before the Enneagram of personality. And, and so it was less to do with personality structure and more to do with essence or, or life force. But yeah, the, that's part of um, the kind of contested <laughs> sort of wild out there mythology of this thing. So let's talk about the type one painting. So as Alicia painted each of these covers, she would uh, send me sketches of uh, what she was thinking about, what she was working on. And one of my favorite parts about it was that she would send these really beautiful notes to explain the details that she was thinking through uh, as she was painting. So I wanted to read you for this uh, this type one painting. Here are a little bit of Alicia's thoughts as to uh, to why and what she painted. She says, I wanted to focus on the strength of each type. The reformers are, are the advocates of change, the teachers. They're the ones who will be pointing the way for others. They have a sense of mission, and I picture type one people are the ones who march at the front of the line if it's a battlefield. They're the leaders, like Mahatma Gandhi, Joan of Arc, or Nelson Mandela. They're principled and are the ones who point and lead the way toward better changes. Based on this, I've made a rough sketch of a boy and a girl and a black leopard symbolizing the leaders with the boy pointing his finger as if showing a way to the light towards better changes and future. The girl and the leopard are also looking firmly forward with no doubt. To make the leopard distinct from a regular cat, uh, which is featured in the type four painting, uh, is the size, which I made big. We can see it in comparison of the child's body. Also, there will be a hint of black spot, the leopard's distinct pattern, although not too subtle. Seriously, she is so brilliant, and uh, I'm sure you can see why I, I so loved getting these, uh, these emails uh, showing off the, the, the ideas and, and just these beautiful notes along with them. And I, I love hearing Chris's interpretation of the art. So here's Chris on the Type 1 art. So, you know, for that, that, that Type 1 image of, of, of the leopard, you, you probably know this, but, you know, the leopard's vision is, is is incredible right they they say that the night vision of the leopard is at least seven times better than that of of humans and 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 this is i think capturing some of that energy of type one the the clarity of seeing and, and seeing a way forward seeing what's right seeing how to do things and, and and so i thought that was a really great sort of gentle nudge towards that aspect of oneness well so these these two little kids in in that type one image it's an incredible, I think, hat tip to the centers of intelligence, right? Because, you know, two threes and fours are, are in their hearts, but you see one who, who's a body type isn't standing. These children aren't standing heart to heart. They're not facing each other. They're standing shoulder to shoulder. And, and, and so there is a kind of in their bodiness portrayed there. Secondly, you, you, you see these kids pointing. And um, I mean, that's really the instructiveness of ones. This is the communication style of ones. They, they're, they're good teachers. And then I don't know if Alicia did this on purpose or not, but it, it sure looks like the jaws, right? The mouth of, of these children are the least shaded in components of the face. And that's, I think, a, a really interesting hat tip to the somatic stress and energy stored in the jaws of ones, right? You see this with a lot of ones. They, they grind their teeth. There's a lot of 
biting down on their tongue, not letting their anger or their opinions out. And it, and it, and it showed up. I, I think it showed up in that image that like there is that pressure that the ones have to just hold it in, to hold that criticism and to hold that frustration and to not let it out. And so, man, I, I just thought that was brilliant. Now let's talk through the artwork for my song eight. This gorgeous piece of art um, has a bull charging uphill, uh, a little girl riding on top and the boy running alongside. Uh, here's the notes that Alicia sent along with this really powerful artwork. She wrote, instead of aggressive, I, I think it's more beautiful to depict the children and the bull in a strong and courageous gesture. The girl is especially showing power and self-confidence in command. Despite the ominous storm and difficult path, they are willing to put themselves in jeopardy to achieve their goal, therefore keep ascending the cliff. I think this image has a heroic atmosphere as well. So beautiful. Uh, and this piece of art is the, is the most controversial of, of all of these paintings. Not really. There's actually no controversy at all. But uh, on one side, you see uh, the kids running up this, this cliff. And uh, uh, you can't quite tell if there's anything on the other side. And um, I love that mystery and that um, uncertainty. And if you look really, really, really closely, you can see just the, the, the shred of a, a piece of land on the other side that is kind of like the hope that they are running towards something. Here's Chris again to give his thoughts on this piece of art uh, from the perspective of a type eight himself. I love this because eights love resistance. Like I, I got a, a bike a few years ago and it was like, oh, what kind of bike do you want to get? You know, I hadn't had a bike since I was a little kid. And I was like, I guess a 10 speed, I don't know. And these guys at like the hipster bike store were like rolling their eyes like 10 speed, what are you talking about, man? And they told me there's this bike called a fixie or a fixed gear bike where you actually have to do all the work and like, there's no spinning gears and, you know, you have to actually sort of pedal backwards to brake and slow it down. And, and so, yeah, I got the, the hardest bike to ride. And then I would always find the steepest hills. And I just love taking a hill on, on, a, on a fixed gear bike. And you see that that's actually the, the love of resistance in this image. These kids are kind of running up a, 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 a hill, up a, up a sloped cliff. And then of course, like there's different animal energies for type eight, but I, I think that the, the Spanish bull in particular is one that, that consistently comes up and, uh, man, this little girl is actually riding. She's actually dominating this bull. I mean, everything about this is just so eight. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, finally, let's talk about the art for the song nine. So once again, here are Alicia's notes for, uh, this insanely beautiful image. She writes, I wanted to maximize the use of blank space to create a peaceful and calm atmosphere. The children and the elephant are walking away slash out of the canvas. It gives us a subtle feeling of resolution, an end to something, uh, specifically in this case, uh, the end of the Enneagram and uh, Atlas II series, like walking off stage. Uh, the girl, boy, and elephant are all connected to each other, walking together in harmony. The boy is hugging the elephant as a gesture of compassion. The girl is also touching the elephant with her hand as if calming and supporting it. For real though, how beautiful is that? <laughs> it's, it's so good. 
And as a type nine myself, I just find so much meaning and, and beauty in this in this piece of art. It was a huge uh, inspiring force as I was not only writing the song, but also um, as I was coming to these uh, these kind of deep realizations about myself and my life. It was this uh, this this image that sort of embodies all of that. And uh, so, for many months, I had this as my my desktop wallpaper as I as I worked away on this song. So this is a, an incredibly important and special piece of art um, in my. My life. Here's a few more thoughts from Chris about this piece of art. I do love the choice of elephant. I think it kind of surprised me when I, I first saw it, but it's like, you know, there's 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 a lot of nine energy in the elephant because first of all, the elephant it, it, it's it's stubborn, it's slow, it, it has this kind of meandering movement. And I don't know if you know this about nines, Ryan, but it's like they don't like to be told what to do. And when you actually try to speed them up, they kind of slow down. And so there's something in that and like what's great about it is like there's a strength in that like it's not that nines are, are are passive there's a strength there's a determination in that kind of stubborn meandering sort of pokey i'm gonna do it my way and on my terms and and so that strength i think is really portrayed in in the elephant which i love secondly um i i love this little girl it's like she's she's supporting the elephant I, putting her hand up on it on its on its head on its ear and there's um, a kind of imagery of nineness in that. Like they're so supportive. They're, they 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 make us feel even bigger and stronger than we we really are. Um, but you see, there's there's also so much courage in the nine that offers that. And and you see a little little girl sitting behind a, a giant elephant, and that's like whoa, that's incredible. But there she is. And then what I love almost the most about this image is this little boy is um up on top riding this elephant and. And, and I've heard a couple of people say, oh, look, there's that kid falling asleep as if the slumber is a hat tip to the self-forgetfulness or the sloth of, of the nine. But if you look closely, that kid's arm is actually not hanging limp like he's resting or sleeping. That that kid's holding this this thing. And again, that's that nineness. It's like, I got you. Like, I'm this little tiny boy up here on the top of this thing, but I, I'm holding you. Obviously, I cannot thank Alicia Edigento enough for her wonderful work uh, throughout this whole project. Um, I am so excited to get to share the details and, and the thoughts on the six other Enneagram paintings that she did um, over these uh, next couple episodes. This uh, intelligence-oriented song, Body, uh, means so much to me, not only as a type nine myself, um, right at the very center of the, the body intelligence center, but as a song that reminds me to trust in my instincts. Uh, it, it's a great honor to get to go back after the type songs have now been out in the world and to tell you about what this song means to me um, as my, my very first attempt at, at fitting the Enneagram in, into a song. Uh, before we wrap this episode up, uh, Chris was kind enough to give some words of affirmation for, for us uh, Body Intelligence Center folk. So once again, here's Chris. So I, I'll say this for, for, for those of us in our bodies, um, to be loved well by, by people in our communities, um, it's not simply we want touch because in fact, a lot of nines kind of are hug averse. Um, <laughs> there's a kind of give me my space or my, my distance. It, it's is that right seems like that yeah um man I, i'm worried i'm not a nine <laughs> um but i need to go back and re-record all these episodes for sure nine um but there's a kind of validating the the, the too muchness of how hard COVID has been for all of us in nine different ways and, and i think in 
the pandemic and social isolating and in shelter in place and in, and really the interruption of, of what is happening in our lives, um, we, we need to give ourselves room um, as eights, nines, and ones to express the too muchness, to express the frustration, to express what, what's upsetting and making us angry here. And, and I think in relationship with, with the body type people in your life, um, making room for that is actually a gift because a, a lot of times we feel like we can't bring all of that forward. The eights will, will feel like we're going to be way too much. The, the, the ones are going to feel like we're being way too critical and, and the nines just feel bad ab about getting upset in general. And so when we know that you love us, we know that we're, we're trusted by you when you actually give us permission to be honest with that. And, and I'll say this, um, as an eight, nine or a one, that's showing yourself compassion. That's accepting the whole of who you are by, by being honest with these feelings, by making sense of, of how you're not or you are relating to the pain of what's changing outside of our control. And so that's going to be another invitation here is, is to review and, and evaluate and understand um, what's difficult about not being in control of the calendar, uh, of when we can go back and, and be with friends or family, when we can go out to our, our favorite restaurants or, or hit a cinema. Not being in control is actually a correction for a lot of us right now. And I think for the eight signs and ones, this correction is going to lead to tremendous inner growth and, and incredible transformation if we can give over to it. And, and so for the eight signs and ones, and, and Ryan, we talked about this in, in, in previous podcasts, I, I really do think a mindfulness meditation or, or contemplative posture and interior posture for us is learning to just be still, right? The eights, I, I, I can't fight for justice. I can't even fight against the government or the media or, or whatever I think um, needs to be accelerated or changed, I just have to be still. I just have to be here. I just have to be present now. For, for the nines, the, the stillness is, is really an interior gaze to all the things that you've neglected and, and forgotten and all the things that, that you continue to not prioritize in, in your own psycho-spiritual uh, mental health. But it, it, it's kind of finding your breath in this moment so that you can wake up to this moment and wake up to yourself and in the stillness really become alert and grounded and engaged with the reality of what's happening now and the gifts that you can bring into now. And for the one, um, you know, the stillness here is, is really just finding your breath so that you don't have to keep fixing yourself, perfecting yourself making yourself the, the, the more ideal person, partner, friend. It's a lot of work and, 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 and that's exhausting for you and it's exhausting for us. And so finding rest and, and stillness is, is really going to be the way forward here. And so stillness as an interior posture for, for the eight signs and ones, I, I think is going to guide us through these, these difficult days, through this, this great interruption, through this pause on life. Learning to not have to be in control of what's next or, or, or who we're becoming or, or what's happening around us is, is going to actually help ground us. And, and then really, I, I think for the eight signs and ones, learning to relate honestly to our sadness is, is going to lead to um, some of our, our, our most amazing moments of waking up. And, and so the anger and, and the intensity of the eight, there's a sadness in eights 
that comes back to our inner child that didn't feel safe at a certain point in our early holding environment, our inner child that felt as if it had to grow up too quickly or a part of our childhood was accelerated or lost, a, a sadness to the part of ourself that we feel needs to be defended because we think it's going to be taken advantage of. No, we find compassion for ourselves and we let that sadness wash over us. For the nine, it's following that anger into sadness and the sadness of I needed to care for myself and love myself and assert myself more. And where I wasn't loved and where I wasn't seen, yes, grieve that, lament that, but See it as the part of yourself that wasn't seeing yourself and, and, and be honest with it and, and let that grief be healing. And for the one, the, the sadness, I, I, I think, has to come to this point where I said earlier, which is it's an invitation to compassion. You don't have to be sad about not being the kind of person you want to be. I, I think you might want to explore your sadness, though, and, and putting too much on yourself. And really, as you've perfected putting too much on yourself, putting too much on, on others in your life, and, and how maybe that's created um, an unwelcome and an unnecessary um, and an unintended burden, that the sadness frees you into compassion so that you can accept the best of yourself for who you are because there's nobody like you. There's nobody as good as you and and you really are remarkable. That is so beautiful and so helpful. Chris, you are amazing and we are so grateful that you are willing to share with us as a, as a guest on this podcast for these these Enneagram songs. So now that we've talked through the intelligence centers and have talked through the making of this song Body, let's go ahead and listen to the song from the beginning once more. Uh, here's Body. A feather is a ton of bricks Or maybe I'm too sensitive I don't know All I can say is this From now on I'll try to listen to intuition
Before we wrap up, um, I asked Chris if he wouldn't mind giving us a, a kind of a, in a nutshell version of his new book, which is out right now, everywhere that books are sold, um, The Enneagram of Belonging by Chris Hewerts. Uh, so Chris, tell us what is The Enneagram of Belonging? Yeah. So very simply, what I wanted to do in The Enneagram of Belonging was to, to, to simultaneously push the conversation forward while reaching back. And what I mean by by reaching back is, you know, Ryan, I'm, I, I joke around that um, probably why you and I have been talking right now, there's been nine new Enneagram Instagram meme accounts started. And there's quite a few, we, we see this, um, quite a few sort of overnight um, instant experts out there right now who, who might not actually have a sense of what it is that we're working with. And so the Enneagram of personality was built off of four of Oscar Ichazo's Enneagons. And these first four sort of pieces of, of the puzzle, these first four ingredients were the holy ideas, virtues, passions, and fixations. And so the Enneagram of Belonging is, is really a, about remembering the, the importance of these elements and, and relanguaging them and, and, and remembering what it is that they offer us. And, and, and when I say pushing the conversation forward, I, I simply don't want to rehash and regurgitate and, and rewrite something that's been written for the last 40 or 50 years. So what do we do? How do we make peace? How do we allow these holy ideas and fixations, virtues and passions to belong? And how do we work with them in very practical ways? And so I would hope that this book is, is just yet another support to our ongoing journey of becoming more authentically human and letting everything belong. Because the truth is, if there's any aspect of myself that I, I, I can't or I don't allow to belong, then no aspect will ever fully belong. And that's the punchline here. And I'll tease you with this. The, the, the first line in, in the book goes, this is a book about dragons. And uh, I love it because, you know, in, in, in Western mythology, a dragon is a monster that, that needs to be slain. It's a monster that protects and guards a, a treasure it can't consume. But, you know, in Eastern mythology, dragons are messengers and, and, and they bring forward wisdom and, and, and secret knowledge and, and they're welcome, actually. And, and what I'm trying to get at in the Enneagram of belonging is that our type is actually both a monster and a messenger. And the bummer is we try to slay the messenger by, and we try to welcome the monster. But we have to make peace with both and we have to learn to allow both the monster and the messenger to belong. And I think when we start to metaphor type as that, it really opens everything up and it changes the conversation. So I, I have lots of fun with it. I, I bring in a, a little bit of Star Wars and a little bit of Pixar. It's It was a lot of fun to write, but um, it's a little vulnerable because I'm, I'm in the process working with my own monster and allowing the monster to become a messenger of hope and of freedom. Um, of, of peace and rootedness and groundedness so that I, I too can belong. Well, I think that's it. Thank you so much to Chris. Uh, please go buy his book, buy it for everyone you know. And uh, uh, my song, Body, is out everywhere music is. It is part of my Atlas II series of songs. And I am so honored that I got the opportunity to share the, the heart of that song and to talk about the Intelligence Centers today. And I'm so excited to talk about heart and mind uh, pretty soon here. So thank you so much for listening. Um, means means the absolute world to me. I hope that you guys are staying safe and uh, will have a, a really beautiful rest of your day. <laughs>